All right, well, let me invite you to join me in opening up a Bible to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, when we'd encourage you to follow along. You can pick a blue pew Bible in front of you, and you can find Matthew 7 on page 812, as we have now uh, just two sermons left in this series, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but let me add my happy Father's Day. Uh, to everybody, and a uh, reminder, if you are here with, with little ones and, uh, you know, the sermon just starts dragging on and on and they need to kind of squirm somewhere, we do have rooms uh, down the hall where uh, the uh, sermon will be streaming and the kids can play, and that's available to you guys as well. And we're excited about this morning and uh, the services we have. We're doing this service here at 9 and then 11 a.m. We're moving outdoors, and Miss Megan her team is leading a family worship service that... Um, is something that we never did until COVID made us do it starting last summer, and we have found it to be so fruitful for our families, and uh, Megan does such an incredible job that we're going to find ways to keep that in the rhythm probably once a month through the summer, uh, including today. So that's the 11 a.m. service. Um, you're welcome to stick around. It's a different service from this one um, if you'd love to check that out. But I want to start uh, this morning by sharing a conversation that I had several years ago with Brian Capalbo, member here at Grace, also serving as one of our elders, when um, he was sharing with me about uh, the time when he and Mary were looking to buy a house for the first time. And as many of you, I'm sure, can resonate, they entered into that just arena, the arena of open houses and online listings and private showings, and all the while thinking through this underlying question, what should you look for when you look for a house? What should you look for when you look for a house? And he shared about that uh, there was this home in Hawthorne that they came across, and uh, first kind of impressions, it was a great location, it had a backyard leading to the big park there in town. Uh, it was within the price range, the size range, kind of checked all those initial boxes. Uh, and so they go the next step and they do a walkthrough of the house. And there again, they just continue to see a lot of things that they like and, and kind of room from move from room to room. And uh, if you've been in that place before, you're observing, you're maybe being critical, but at the same time, you can't help. Maybe you start envisioning some things, what you're um, uh, kind of situation, what your life would look like in that house. Maybe there's a sense of excitement building. And so they, they, great location, price range, size range. They love the layout of the house. And then the last thing they did was go down to the basement. And it was an unfinished basement, so it wasn't necessarily that they're going to look for the living space potential. Uh, not as fun to check out maybe an unfinished basement compared to the rest of the rooms when you're envisioning all those things. But uh, they did their homework. Someone was wise in telling them what to look for when they look for a house. That in every home you see, you should check out the foundation. What's the foundation of the home like? Again, examining that, not the most exciting part, searching for a house. Not the only part of a house that matters, but... In many ways, it is the most important. Because if a foundation is bad or faulty, then that will tend to override everything else that you feel about the house. And sure enough, you see where this is going. The reason why I'm sharing it is that Brian and Mary discovered that there were problems with the foundation of this house. After getting some professional insight, uh, it became 
uh, kind of apparent to them that there were some serious issues that would need to be addressed with the foundation of this house if they were to proceed with it. So they walked away. You see, if the foundation is bad, everything built on top of it is compromised. And that's true with homes that are temporary, but it's far more true with our lives and our souls, which are eternal. And so, with that said, it's no wonder then that Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount talk about the foundation. The final thing he's going to say in this long sermon over three chapters that we've spent six months on, the final thing he's going to say to us, church, is, has to do with the foundation. And in order to do so, he will invoke the imagery of two homes. So that's where we're going this morning. It's going to be Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. And then next week, Pastor Joe will bring us home. He's going to conclude this series with the final two verses of chapter 7, where Matthew provides his own kind of wrap-up, his own kind of editorial comment on all that we've heard from Jesus. But let's go to the text, Matthew 7. Again, pick it up at verse 24, reading to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is a very, I've said this a lot throughout this series, but a very familiar passage. If you have some kind of semblance with church background, or, or even probably if not, you, you, you know the story of the wise man and the foolish man, the one who built his house on the rock and the one who built his house on the sand. But think about this in the fact that, uh, that maybe you haven't thought about the fact that that was the very last words of Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount. And think about all the topics we've talked about over the last six months. We've talked about anger and true joy. We've talked about lust and true purity, marriage and divorce, commitments and lies. We talked about retaliation loving your enemies. We talked about generosity and prayer and fasting and money and anxiety and insurance and discernment and judgment and the golden rule and the good and bad fruit in somebody's life. And there are a lot of, and there has been a lot of visibly, extremely relevant topics to the human experience. The kind of things that intersect with every single day of our lives, things that we should and did take great interest in. Jesus, what do you have to say about this? How should this apply to me? And we are grateful to have the guidance on that. But you could say, if you can hang with me here, that going through the Sermon on the Mount was like walking through a house. Noticing all the different rooms and things about it. The size and function of the various rooms. The floor layout. The fixtures and the appliances. The yard and the location. And now he finishes. And he finishes, again bear with me, by going into the basement. He wants to go to the bottom of your hearts to be the very last thing you hear him say. 
His final words are about the kind of foundation that support everything on top of it. Everything we've discussed over six months, that list and more, is built upon what we're going to hear today. A life in the kingdom of heaven is only as strong as the foundation that supports it. And so here's how we're going to break down this passage and that Jesus paints this picture. Okay, we have two men, a wise man and a foolish man, and they got two houses. So first, we're going to see the similarities between the two, and then we'll see the differences between the two, and then finish with, okay, what's the point? So first, with the similarities, and admittedly, I've always, when I've heard this story hundreds of times, maybe, have always just thought about the differences, but I was helped by uh, the commentaries uh, that I've been through this week and studying for this passage, and to notice that before there's differences, there are similarities to examine here. And we're going to look at three similarities. Number one, the two men had the same desire. The two men had the same desire, and the desire was for a home. They both wanted a place to dwell and where they can live and and enjoy their lives. The two men wanted to be happy. And, And they saw their home as a very vital conduit to their happiness. Right? And the reason is because the home will literally serve as a, as a home base. You, you spend a lot of time in your home. Everything you do in your physical lives kind of launches out from your home, and then you re- return back to your home. It's home base. And just as Jesus will use this illustration as a metaphor for our lives, he's conveying that all people made in the image of God, we all have the same desire. Humans made in his image have written on their hearts a desire to be happy, a desire to enjoy the life that we have for however long we have it. And if you think about it, um, you know, even if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, and like I'm probably not going to agree, Pastor, with a lot with you say, I, I hope at the very least we would all agree on this, that everyone believes what they do about the world because they think that belief system, that home base where their hearts and souls dwell, if you will, is the conduit to getting the most out of life. Uh, Paul Tripp wrote this little book, Forever. It's a great little book called Forever. And he says it, quote, we're all dreamers because we all have forever wired inside of us. Christians are not the only people who desire purpose and satisfaction, and fulfillment. All people do. We we all have that same desire. If if you went, okay, what's the opposite of a devoted Christian? If you had said somebody who was a devout atheist, who denies the existence of God, they live out their lives out of the conviction of atheism, and that they think that through that belief system, they will get the most out of life. So, so this gets a little circular, but think about it. Even the most extreme stance that would say that there's no greater purpose in life. No one's born with a greater purpose because there's no God. We're just molecules and brain cells that have evolved with no intelligent designer. That's a conviction somebody has, ironically, because they think it will allow them to live the most purposeful life. To get the most out of it. Enjoy it while you can, for tomorrow we die. And then the lights go out. So live for today. Somebody who's a devout atheist can feel very purposeful in that desire. So 
So we all want to maximize our happiness, our spiritual homes. And it all comes from our hearts, right? The control center. That's how the Bible talks about the heart. It's the control center of everything you think about and everything you say and everything you do or don't do. And your heart is vital to see those desires fulfilled. So that's the first similarity here. These two men, the wise men and the foolish men, they got the same desire. But that's not all. Number two, they build the same kind of house. All right, confession time. I hesitate to admit this. But I admit that in this past week, I realized that the image of this story in my mind has been wrong literally my entire life. Here's why. Um, This is a passage that, again, many kids grow up in the church learning from an early age because it's a simple metaphor to understand, first and foremost. It's an easy object lesson. But maybe more importantly, there's a very popular children's song that goes with this passage. And am I going there? Yes, I'm going there. Am I going to sing it? No, I'm not going to sing it. But maybe worse, we're all going to listen to it now. And you're just going to look at me, and I'm going to look at you for the next 60 seconds. Go ahead and play the song. You can sing along. Great job. I'm sorry and you're welcome that you will be singing that uh, throughout this week. Here's the confession. In my mind, as a child, and this never went away, here's the vision of this passage to me. The house, there's a house that's made of stone, and then there's a house that's made of sand. So you got the stone house and you got the sand castle. One will stand when the storm comes, and the other one will get washed away. And I'm studying this passage this week, realizing, wait a minute, that's not the story. That's literally not what Jesus said. In actuality, the two houses appear to be the exact same if you were looking from the street, which, as we'll get to, is the whole point. Welcome to the Bible, Pastor Aaron. The difference was the foundation, not the house. These two men with the same desire to build a home to enjoy also built the same kind of house. Same square footage, same open floor plan, same layout of the bedroom, same fixtures in the bathroom, same handles on the cupboards, same exterior and paint color. 
and this newfound revelation I had makes this story not only make a lot more sense in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, this is reason 837 why I like preaching through books of the Bible because I'd never picked this up until now, that the very fact that they look the exact same from the street is the whole point Jesus is making throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The overarching theme of this sermon is that Jesus is talking to religious people. He's talking to the kind of people that believe in God, that think that they're devoting themselves to God, but in actuality, many of them are just doing it for themselves. Think about the passage that we saw directly before it that we looked at last week, the haunting passage. That Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, can we do all these things in, in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus is telling this story with the concern of those who only care about outward observations, who might claim the same belief, who, if you walk through the house, again, looks carbon copy. And while the first similarity, again, is for all people, whether you believe in God or not, your desire to be happy and to live a life out of that conviction, this second similarity is for those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Those who we are today would say would consider themselves Christian. I'm a Christian. Might even attend the same church. Might be in the same pew. Go to the same Christian schools. Have the same Bible verses memorized and on the doorways of your home. Sing the same songs. Hear the same sermons. Be in the same small group. Kind of lives that look to be identical. This is also true for churches corporately. There's 300,000 churches in the U.S. alone. You know, everyone has a name on, outside the front of their building, right? We're a church. There's key elements that are going to probably be familiar in all the churches. Somebody's going to preach. Somebody's going to sing. There's going to be service projects. There's going to be kids programs. There's going to be small group curriculums. Looks really, really similar when you walk through those houses. So these two men not only had the same desire, they had the same kind of house, and then the third similarity, they are subject to the same storm. They are subject to the same storm. The rains fell down and the floods came up, trying not to sing it, I dare you. Um, these homes apparently were in the same neighborhood because they got the same exact storm that came upon them both. Rain doesn't only fall on solidly built homes. Floods don't only surround weaker-built homes. They don't target or discriminate. They're, a storm is no respecter of persons. You know what I mean? The storms came, because they always do. And oftentimes, people will invoke this passage to talk about the so-called storms of life. Have you heard kind of that metaphor, that we all have the storms of life, meaning trials and tribulations that all people will face, and Christians face them just like non-Christians will face them. And, and, and surely, I'm not denying that. There's an element of truth to that. And there's places where it is important to say that a Christian, to, to be a Christian is not to have nothing go wrong for you because God's on your side and he just coasts you through life. In some ways, you can probably make a more biblical case that you're going to be subject to more suffering if you claim to follow Christ but that message doesn't tend to sell, which is why you don't hear about it that often. And the invitations to follow Christ. Follow Christ, it might not go well. <laughs> might not go well. Christians get cancer. 
Christians lose their jobs. Christians experience tragedy in their families. Christians struggle with mental illness, just like non-Christians do. So the difference about Christians is not whether or not we face trials, but how we face and react to those trials, amen? But that's not this sermon. Because there's truth to that, but it's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a very specific storm that will come to all people. No exceptions. It's the storm of final judgment. When we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account for our lives. And no one's getting out of that one. No one's dodging that storm. And all will be exposed and nothing will be unseen. And we have a righteous judge who renders perfect judgment every single time. He hasn't messed up once. And that same storm now leads us to the differences Because while we know where this is leading, the major difference between the two, there's even a couple more subtle changes that, again, is worth pointing out. Um, So for the differences, number one, different preparations. These two men had different preparations. While they had the same desire and sought to build the same kind of house and were subject to the same storm, the wise man clearly sought some advice from somebody before he started building his home. So you don't have to turn there, but Luke also, in his gospel, writes a version of this story, of this teaching. And I want to read to what Luke does, because there's a couple details in there that Matthew doesn't include. So this is Luke 6, verses 47. Jesus speaking, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. You see, the wise man was different from the foolish man in that he did not assume he knows everything there is to know about building a house before he built the house. He clearly learned at some point in his life that taking the time to build the foundation is the most crucial part of every home. The foolish man, who had the same desire, either did not seek out advice or did not listen to the advice he did receive. I just want to get right to it. I want to build a house that satisfies my desires as fast as possible. You see, there is wisdom in taking the time to consult wise people when making significant decisions. You know, back I started with the story about Brian and Mary in that house in Hawthorne. Uh, Upon noticing something in the foundation, feeling a little uneasy, they had, I think if I'm right, it was Mary's uncle who's a contractor to come look at it and give advice. And his advice was, yeah, there's a problem here. You're going to have to address that if you really want to move forward with this. Now, Brian and Mary, searching for their first house, they could have in their excitement just been like skipped over getting that consultation. Or even after hearing it go, but like, I mean, the house is standing, right? I mean, what are the chances that like something actually happens here? Let's just do it. Let's get in this house. Look at the location in the rooms. Proverbs 12, 15 is an interesting proverb in light of this story. It says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. 
So can I ask you, when it comes to forming the belief system you currently have right now, when it comes to shaping your worldview, can I ask, do you know what that process has looked like? Do you know who or what are your sources that you would say, this is why I believe what I believe, and do you trust those sources? Do you trust the people that have convinced you of it? Are you even aware of who's convinced you that you believe what you believe and you don't believe what you don't believe, and do you trust it? I think one of the challenges with our society today is that we are so easily distracted, so easily distracted from thinking deeply about things, so consumed with just the surface-level areas of life or the surface-level media or content that we consume that we never actually stop to ask, why do I believe what I believe? And to do that, and I say this as lovingly as possible, to do that is to live the life of a fool, of just doing what's right in your own eyes and just being subject to whatever you hear and whoever tells you and just going with the flow. It's no foundation. So that's the first difference. Let's keep going. There's a second difference. They not only had, um, they also had a different approach. So different preparations, but a different approach. Again, this will be brief because it's related to the first difference, but I think it's still worth pointing out. And that the wise man, did you hear it in the Gospel of Luke? He didn't just dig. Luke said he dug deep. And he laid that foundation on the rock. You ever dug deep into rock? I was the kid, like, building the sandcastle. I would, like, hit the one rock, and I'm like, I'm done. Now this is too hard. How about just going through the rock, and yet did not rush it? He knew it's worth this time. Digging deep is worth it. It might be hard. You're going to break a sweat. It's not going to be easy. But you can know that when you do the hard work and you put it in, you establish yourself that when it comes time to start building that house, you have full confidence in that foundation. Opposed to a foolish man who, again, right to it, no patience, no diligence, I want to do an immediate decision and just live the rest of my life based on that immediate decision with no foundation and hope it works out in the end when the storm comes. It was the easier option. Just like earlier when Jesus gave the primary application point of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, he goes, go on the narrow path, don't go on the wide path. And the reason why that's such a stern warning is because it's easier to go on the wide path. It's an easier path. But it leads to destruction. Let's be honest, it's easier for you to decide for yourself what's right and just say, I'm just going to live my life, you live your life, I don't need, this is just me. It's easier to do that. Tempting to do that. Trust that your own limited experience is enough to make decisions about eternity and the truth of the world and the reality of your soul when you don't need to be accountable to anyone. Just like the man building the house, go for it, see what happens. I think about today, there's been so much talk about how crazy the housing market is now and how many uh, people, and um, listen, I've never bought a house, so I don't, no judgment here, but people buying houses without ever like looking at it, just, you know, the, the, the Zillow scroll, here's the offer, no inspection, no walkthrough, buy it and hope it works out, and maybe that is the wise decision in today's housing market, I don't know, I'm not the guy to tell you, but I know that while that might work for houses, it's a dangerous path to work when talking about the reality of your soul. Many will think, 
if I just build a house real quick, just go to church, give a little money, serve here and there, quick, get your life in order, stop doing the really bad things, start doing a few more good things, see what happens. And that leads to the primary, most important, and most obvious difference between these two houses, and that is the different foundations. The wise man built his foundation on the rock. The foolish man built his foundation on the sand. And here's the thing. No one notices the difference when it's sunny and 75 degrees out. Light breeze in the air. Both houses stand side by side. Even with the different timetables it took to build the houses, the difference in the consultations they went about going about it, but sunny, 75, looks the same. Both look good. But one day, the storm will come, and the storm will do what storms do. They expose. They expose how well something is built. And Jesus says, on that day, the rains fell down, the floods came up, and the winds blew, and the house built on rock foundation will stand, but the house built upon the soundy foundation, in Jesus' words, it fell, and great was the fall of it. And this entire illustration is connected to the line that it begins with. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And that begs the question, Jesus, what are these words? If, if, if these words need to be heard and done, what are these words? And in context, again, I think it's very directly related to the words Jesus just spoke before it, that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who will do the will of my Father, which we unpacked last week. If you have not listened to that, I would encourage you to do so. On that day, again, means the day of the storm, the storm of final judgment. But more generally, since this is the end of his sermon, this is his conclusion, when Jesus says these words, I think he's applying that to everything he has spoken, starting with the Beatitudes the kind of character of those who are in the kingdom of heaven. I think he's talking about the call to be salt and light in the world, the, the mission of those in the kingdom of heaven. And I think he's also talking about the various applications of our thoughts and words and actions, the, the lives of those in the kingdom of heaven. This is the main point. This is the entire sermon boiling up to here, that our character our mission, our lives will stand on that day of final judgment if and only if they are built on the foundation of the rock. The rock being the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel that Jesus comes, and this is going to sound a little dramatic, but he comes to save you from God. God saves you from the wrath of himself by putting forth his son to take your place. 
And in that storm of final judgment, we'll see anybody who builds their house on anything other than Jesus Christ be swept away. But those who are built on Christ, that when Jesus sees you, he sees you as an adopted son or daughter because he sees you through the lens of the person and work of his son, that house will stand. A storm won't touch it. And this is not the last time that word rock will be invoked by Jesus to speak about the foundation of himself that Matthew will record and that he is speaking here about the foundation of your life, an individual's life. But if you were to turn ahead to Matthew 16, he asks his disciples this question, hey, who do you guys say that I am? And for the first time in the gospel, more than halfway through it, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, Simon. And you are Peter, and I tell you that on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Just as a wise man built his house on the rock, so a healthy church is built upon the same rock, the person and work of Jesus Christ, if the works of a church want to stand and give glory to God. The one who came to redeem and restore all things to restore that has been lost, the one who will reign as king for all of eternity. And so the implicit question at this point, what is your foundation built upon? Friend, if you've never trusted your life to Jesus Christ, which the Bible says happens through the twin graces of repentance and faith, called the, the twin graces, Repentance of sin, faith in Jesus Christ, uh, running from a life outside of God, and running from sin. That's what repentance is, not just acknowledging, but running from, repenting, turning away from, and then forgiveness of that sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, that is God running towards you. And the rock of Christ is the only rock that will stand on that day. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, as things pop off, Final judgment is not something to be feared. That there will be a sweetness on that day of being told that all of Christ's work has been credited to you and that you are in him an adopted son and daughter of the Most High God. And for those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, these questions of self-examination, where's my foundation really built? Not, not, not just what I say it's built, not what my parents say it's built, or my Sunday school teacher might say it's built, or my youth leader, or my small group leader. Where is my foundation built? That self-examination work can be the work of the Spirit meant to build you up, not tear you down. Because when Jesus said in the previous passage, depart from me, I never knew you, that's not a cold transactional statement. I think he's saying that with an expression of pain on his face because he said, I came to the door and I knocked and I never knew you. You never wanted it. But when the foundation is truly Christ, then all that will be built upon it will be for his glory and not our gain. Our character the way we see ourselves being united in Christ will be for his glory, not our own. Our mission to be salt and light in the world, reflecting the light of Christ, will be for his glory, not our own. And the lives we lead will be devoted to building up one another in Christ. We'll be devoted to missionally orienting ourselves to reach a world for Christ. And it will be for his glory and not our own. 
as we close, I was reflecting back at how I first learned about this passage through a simple, silly children's song. And yet, perhaps the climatic line of that song is the really the main point after all. Not only of these verses, but the entire Sermon on the Mount. And I won't sing it, but I'll say it. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing will come down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful how in the same passage we can be both convicted and assured, Lord, that you are the great surgeon, that you open us up in order to heal us, that you wound in order to save. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at our own lives and we look at others around us in this church, that we don't see people who have it all together, but we see fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have been saved by grace and not by their own doing, who have built their life upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who are part of a church that covenants together to be a church that builds its ministry on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that this would be the fuel for us to rest in you, truly rest in you, and through that rest be fueled to know you and make you known. And it's in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.